Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to another Rahalastava Book Club. We have our first ever returning author. Which, when you think how many authors there are in the world, what's he got over me that he's come back already? It's uh, Greg Jenner, uh, and he's talking about his fabulous new children's book, but it's good for adults too. You are history. How are you, Greg? I am well. I'm back. I'm like a boomerang. You are very kind because early, we were, you were, I think, maybe our fourth or fifth guest, but I'd, I'd happened to read. You're an older book quite recently, so that was part of the reason I sort of tapped you up. So I think it's only fair that you get to come back and and, and publicise a newer book, uh, which is very good. I've been reading it with my daughter, Phoebe. Uh, mm. uh, it's, tell, us, tell us what what uh, prompted you to to come up with this one and what it's what your view of what it's about is, please. Uh, it's a cold, hard, money-grabbing... No, it's, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no money in children's books. It's all about the joy of it. No, it's, um, it, the book is called You Are History, and it is 50 ordinary objects a kid will use every day, um, and the history of them, a global history, the stuff that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily look at and think, well, that's, that's interesting, because we use it all the time, and it's boring, and it's ordinary. 
But actually, ordinary stuff is often extraordinary. And um, the idea was to try and write a book that any kid, regardless of who they are, uh, could pick up and go, oh, I do that. I use those. And then they kind of go, hang on a second. This is this goes back thousands of years, back to the Stone Age, back to the Bronze Age, back to you know ancient China or Japan or wherever. So it's a fun, illustrated book that is... Um, hopefully getting kids into history but also just sort of going look if you look around you the stuff in your house genuinely has an amazing history and we don't give it two thoughts because we're all just like nah whatever don't care but uh, it's good stuff yeah it really is and, and and even as an adult and even as an adult who studied history and is very interested in history there is <laughs> there is lots of stuff in here that i didn't know or lots of things that i had forgotten if i did know so there's it's, it's a really great you know i love uh, a good kids history book is great because it reminds you as an adult of of the stuff you don't know and also i think with this um when i studied history at school it was very very eurocentric and very very britain centric and england centric uh, and this book takes us all over the world and has the history of from from many different places as well which i think is terrific yeah and i think that's really important these days i think it's i mean i went through the whole education system you know, up to master's degree level. I didn't do my PhD. I couldn't afford it. But I went all the way up without really ever doing African history, East Asian history or, or South Asian history. Like you just like enormous, con- not even like society, <laughs> not even like countries, but like continents of the world. Yeah. That we just was like, no, no, we're not doing those. <laughs> and that just seems weird that the history of the world can be so easily sort of smushed down to just Hitler and, and the Tudors. And you sort of go, there we go. You're now trained as this story. And off you go. Um <laughs> And so, yeah, it's nice to diversify a bit and look around the world. And also, we live in a global world, right? We live in a connected world. Our history is increasingly uh, the history of other countries, other, you know, whether it's empire, whether it's trade, whether it's wars, whether it's pandemics. We're all interconnected. And as the book hopefully makes the case, some of the stuff that we think of as really ordinary and just part of our daily lives, well, it comes from the other side of the planet. And that often was extraordinary at the time it was, you know when it first started happening people were like blimey this has come from you know thousands of miles away huge shipping trade networks to bring it and now you can order it next day off amazon and it shows up and you go oh great lovely just needed one of those <laughs> but back in the day it would have been months and months and months to, to bring something it would have been yeah. hugely lucrative yeah uh, it is a very funny book, and it's lovely to read it alongside. Uh, we've been reading it together. I've been reading it, but she's my daughter is now capable of reading on her own as well. So she's been reading it too. But it's it's nice to get shared laughs. Uh, her first big laugh. Uh, it is very funny, Greg. My first big laugh that she that really tickled Phoebe was uh, about um, Richard the Raker. I don't oh, know if you yeah. remember that particular part. <laughs> I do. I mean, it's not a very funny story, really, but it but it got big laughs from my evil daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny at a distance. It's tragic up close. Yeah, Richard the Raker was a medieval toilet cleaner. So he, uh, not not uh, <laughs> that makes him sound like um like uh, the products you put down your toilet. He wasn't uh, a bleach. He was a human who cleaned toilets. Um. In medieval times, he lived in England. He was called a gong farmer, which is the medieval word for a toilet uh, cleaner. And um, he drowned in feces uh, because, unfortunately, he fell through the floorboards. They were rotten. He fell through the floorboards uh, on his day off. And that's what I find. (laughs) That's that's where the joke is, is that he spent his days cleaning other people's feces. And then he got home and, unfortunately, fell through his own toilet on his day off. And that 
that's the joke, isn't it? I mean, it's horrible. It's grim. <laughs> but that is ultimately, if you're going to have to die, uh, I suppose, make it ironic. Um, yeah. So, poor and guy. And it's gone down in, it's literally gone down in history as a result. Literally we gone wouldn't, down. We wouldn't yeah. probably have heard of Richard the Raker if this no. hadn't happened to him. Uh, no, he lived no, in the he... 1300s when things were pretty bad anyway. So, you know, all in all, <laughs> it's a good result for Richard. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the 14th century is the time of, of the Black Death. It's the time of, of huge flooding. It's the Hundred Years' War. I suppose drowning in your own shit is probably not that bad of a way to go, <laughs> all considered. <laughs> but I love it when like stories like that come through the historical record, because obviously like there's not loads of of stuff from the 1300s that makes it to a sense, certainly not loads of stuff about ordinary people. So that's a story that has been grasped onto. Do you know, do you know where that's? A rid where that story, what the source for that story was. Yeah, we so, so these are coroner <laughs> reports. So we get these sorts of stories from usually from um, investigations into whether someone has died by you know, accident or malice. You know, has someone killed them or has it been an accident? And so we get some really, there are some really fascinating ones. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the funniest ones. I mean, again, I'm I used to write these on horrible histories on the yeah. stupid death sketches, um, but there was a there was a Tudor guy, I think it was, who was trying to shoot his uh, his bow and arrow, and uh, the arrow got stuck. It got lodged in the bow, and uh, he did that classic thing of you know you never <laughs> never meant to sort of peer into the barrel of a gun. He did the exact same thing with a with a bow. He sort of peered into it, and of course it dislodged into <laughs> oh, his face God. and killed him. There was a guy who shot an arrow directly up into the sky, and to see how high it could go, and of course it just. Came back down and hit him on the top of the head and killed him. Um, there are a lot of people who unfortunately died somewhat stupidly and and, and from a, from far away. It's now funny, but at the time it would have been very sad. But yeah, we do have these coroner records of um, death by misadventure. Drowning is incredibly common in the medieval world. Right. So people they didn't have the clothes that you know they they would um, the clothes absorb all the water, and so you would very yeah. quickly very. Get, get very heavy but also the, the shock of the cold really really sad how many people were drowned but it was a very very common also to be killed by pigs that was another huge issue uh wild feral pigs would just like eat kids and attack people and that was that was quite bad so you have to sort of imagine a world where arrows are being shot in the air people are drowning in shit and then you've got like feral <laughs> hogs going for your kids so it's quite a scary time yeah so i mean there is a lots of funny stuff in there there's you know you you home in on uh Tutankhamun's pants that uh you know which is obviously another a, a big big laugh point that we have we have a pair of his pants they're quite impressive well uh, not just one pair Richard 145 spare pairs you are right yes he was, of course he was buried with so many pants uh, <laughs> we don't really know why so many obviously he's there for the afterlife I guess they're sort of planning ahead and thinking well he might need I, mean, I, I don't know 145 is so specific and it's so many like I I, I get it if they gave him like seven Seven, you know, like a mum packing the kid off to to, uh, to go on a week sort of, you know, scout camp or something. Uh, seven pants, you'd be like, yeah, fair enough. 145. It's a weird number. Yeah. I, I don't know what that's about. Um, but you can see his pants in a museum in Egypt. They're on display. Um, it's it's so lucky that wasn't all that was in there. You know, I don't know if that would have been quite the, <laughs> the excitement. I can see wonderful things. 147 <laughs> pairs of pants. Howard um, Carter just breaking in. It's just wife fronts <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, it's, it, it, it is fascinating. I have to say that what I really like about it is that you, you as, as, as much as it's a, a fun little jaunt through history, you don't dodge the big subjects. And so you, don't, you it's not overwhelmed by the big subjects. 
but you certainly go into mentioning the Holocaust in in, in, a, in a personal and moving way as well, uh, slavery and American civil rights. So you, you're sort of covering the big subjects as well. Was that important to you to to get to get those across as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, the you know, when you're writing a book for kids, you have a responsibility to not just make them laugh and give them you know something jolly to look at at bedtime or whatever, but also just give them a little bit of of little bit of knowledge about some of the some of the big stuff in history which is horrible and and scary and of course the thing about the holocaust about civil rights movement about slavery is that these things have um echoes and legacies to this day they're still really present in our world there are still survivors there are still people who have been touched by those horrible horrible atrocities and crimes and uh, injustices and it's kind of important to make sure that kids growing up can sort of know that some of this stuff wasn't so far away and still really will, will affect us now so yeah you, you've got to have a bit of that in the book but you can't have too much because it's meant to be funny it's meant to be light yeah. and also you don't want to scare kids or upset them you know it's uh, you have to give a little bit of just a little bit of knowledge so they can go oh okay and then they might go and look it up in another book if they yeah. feel ready but yeah a, a little bit of something just to get them started I, th- I think it's very well judged. It, it's exactly that, you know. It, 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 you, it's a book that you, as I say, you can read together and you'll laugh together. But then, it, you know, it is it is important to acknowledge the, the, the awful things uh, that that history has given us. And and you know, I think just to, to it's a, it's done with a light touch, Greg, which I think is 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 great. But with, with but also without um uh, without trivialising any of those experiences. And you know, and and I think it is important that kids. Because you sort of you sort of say you know you say oh we only covered Hitler and we covered whatever but mm. you know most it's, it is so much part of history now that actually kids don't necessarily know about even World War Two like a like a seven or eight year old kid isn't like you know, I, I think I mentioned Hitler and she didn't know who Hitler was which is kind of nice but also you know we need to get that information through that is really interesting isn't it it is that thing of like for, for a, you know for people our generation uh, i think hitler is 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 like the sort of the absolute epitome of evil and you can you know you did a hitler mustache show you've done all sorts of sort of comedy referencing on that and it's it, it's it makes plenty of sense if you're talking to another adult of the same age to sort of be able to name check Hitler and everyone goes oh, oh god yeah that guy um, but <laughs> it's really interesting that how do you introduce that to a child and as the years roll on and it gets further and further away how do you keep it current you know the big challenge at the moment is this holocaust uh, education is that you know we're seeing a huge rise in holocaust denial and that's kind of scary right because that's 13 million people who were annihilated uh, on purpose and uh, my family were among them and it's just incredibly evil and it happened not that long ago and there are survivors still alive i interviewed one in january you know she's still she's very elderly but she's incredibly mm. um with it and phenomenally eloquent and i i couldn't believe the horrors she'd lived through um and i was chatting to her on the zoom call you know this lady in her 90s and you just sort of look at people like that and think you survived the worst possible atrocity and and there are people out there who don't believe it happened. And it's just, it's really, really alarming. And so we do have to keep an eye yeah. on these things. But, you know, that's not, it's not easy yeah. to do. And if you're writing a funny book for kids, you can't just sort of go, all right, kids, now let's do the Holocaust because it's <laughs> such a gear shift. It's such a, it's such a tonal whiplash effect to suddenly stop and then talk about the deliberate murder of so many people. But yeah. you have I mean, to, it's, it is such a, it. it's such a, 
it's such a hard thing to get across to a child. And yeah, you know, it is. And so I think, again, this is perfect. But then again, what I like about the book is um, it's very much... Greg is Greg Jennings very much a sort of character in the book as much as you know in that uh, bit where you mentioned your <laughs> your family connection but you've got a little introduction bit where you talk about your own day and what annoys you about these little things so you're very much a a character and an accessible character in that that's, that is bringing us into this historical world it's uh, uh, this was not my idea uh, this is my editor's <laughs> idea i if it's up to me i i stay well out of everything i i try and uh, if i could host my own podcast without being there that would be amazing um i yeah my my editors were like we really want you to be in the book and we want you to have a sort of section called greg's greatest where you're on like every page and it's like really <laughs> so uh yes i'm i'm all over the blooming book which is very um very weird to see and it's also very strange when you see yourself drawn as a cartoon yeah uh, 50 different ways there's there's cartoons of me on, on the toilet with my sort of you know my <laughs> underpants around my ankles and it's like i'd never imagined i'd ever see this in a book here i am <laughs> taking a dump in a children's book it just doesn't doesn't feel <laughs> like it ever should have happened but um but yes i'm in there mostly because actually when you're talking to kids it's quite nice to sort of feel like you're chatting with them rather than yeah writing at them you know i think it's the same when you're doing podcasts or you know speaking to to a grown-up audience uh, i'm all about the kind of conversational thing and uh, and making it feel chatty and intimate and warm and friendly and a bit like you're you're chatting to a mate or a friend or someone you know someone in the family who you know maybe a little bit older but knows some stuff and so i'm always trying to find a way of connecting that doesn't feel so formal because a lot of history books are quite formal. You know, that's good sometimes. Sometimes it's very important to be yeah. formal. But if you're trying to get people on board who don't love history or they're young and they're starting out, I think it's quite nice to sort of go, hey, I'm Greg. This is what I do. I look like this. Here's me on the toilet. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great because, it, because you know, I think also having kids again and remembering being a kid, the idea of history is so confusing when you're, when you're young, you know, mm. that you can't really quite and, and it's partly in joke humor but partly in reality my kids will go were you around when the telephone was invented or that sort of thing but they don't know <laughs> you know they my son doesn't know you know he knows there were vikings but he can't he can't really grasp that the vikings were like 1500 years ago or you know or whatever so it's it's which isn't surprising so you have to do it in mm. stages and you have to do it in this way so it, it and 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 i think by picking out the the uh, interesting little gobbits and and the the funny bits that really is the the way and my daughter loves this you know my daughter at the moment we we i've read it all but we i'm re, we, we're about halfway through together because we're mm. just doing it a couple of subjects at a time uh, each night you know but she she wants the book which is which is a is a great um you know a, a great compliment to the book i think and a great uh, it sort of shows how great the book is that someone i mean she is interested in history i think but i think this it does really bring it you know, together, I think, in that way. Oh, well, I'm very glad to hear that. And it's, it's very kind of you to say. And, uh, you know, it took three years to write this book, actually. I think when right. I sort of sat down, I was thinking, oh, this will be easy enough. You know, it's a kid's book and I've done horrible histories for 11 years. I know some <laughs> stuff about history. I'll just I'll just bash out some. And actually, then you kind of go, oh, God, no, this needs to be good. This needs to be good. And it needs to be well organized. It's got to make sense on the page. And it's got to be beautifully illustrated. And every illustration has to be accurate, historically accurate. And it's got to be funny. And then the really hard thing about writing kids' books is the word limit is super specific. So it's 35,000 words, which is a lot of words for a kid. Um, yeah. So it's very, it's very sort of, there's loads of information in there. But like you literally cannot fit 
more words on the page than they will give you room for. So you're like, they're like, okay, you have 317 words in this section. It's like, really? Not, not 318? No, 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 317. What if I use two short words? How short? You're, you're, you're negotiating over like the length of a syllable, you know, because it literally has to just physically fit on the, the page. There are 144 yeah. pages. There are 50 objects. There's only so much space. So it's almost like magazine design which I'd never done before. It's not like horrible histories. It's not like podcasts. It's not like writing a book for grownups. It literally was like layout. So it took three years of, of writing and writing and rewriting and editing and then working with the illustrator, Jenny Taylor. It does an amazing job on this, trying to get it all to fit and then to make sense and then for it to flow and each page to have jokes and then each page to have facts and then each page to have illustrations and then the next page is you start again and, and it's like, <laughs> oh God. So yeah, it's, a re- it's a lot more work than I thought it would be. And actually the... The adult book that I wrote at the same time, Ask a Historian, was way easier to write. That was, you know, <laughs> 120,000 words, 50 different subjects. But that was like, that was a doddle. This was so much harder. Well, the illustrations are, are fantastic. Uh, is it Jenny Taylor? Have I got, yes, yeah. Jenny Taylor uh, did the illustrations, which do really compliment it. Again, we're using you as a character, but also, I mean, and I guess, <laughs> you know, it's interesting to think, because I thought there must be so much, there's so much responsibility to get the facts to mm. be true. I mean, there's a couple of things you say, I don't think this one is true or, you know, this is just yeah, a story. Yeah. So, but, but there must, would you, you also want to do, you know, one of the, that's part of history is the things that aren't true and the things that are stories. But, but yeah, sure. I hadn't considered that uh, Jenny also had to make sure that everything was accurate in all, but yeah. it's, it's a, it looks, it's a beautiful looking book. So, you know, it's a, it's a lovely gift because it's a, it's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful. Yeah, it is. Um, it's beautiful. It's a hardback and it's also available in audiobook too. So right. the, the lovely thing about the book is it's so gorgeous to pick up. It's a hardback. It's in full color. It's got a lovely heft to it. It's very high quality paper. I'm very impressed. Yeah, it is. Um, but um, uh, but the audiobook exists too, and I narrated that. Uh, I had it. I did it with COVID. Actually, I had, uh, <laughs> I knew I I knew I was I tested positive for COVID, and didn't. I knew that I wouldn't have time to record it any other time because it was uh, three days before my 40th birthday. So I recorded it on my own <laughs> in my shed with COVID <laughs> and just no producer, no director, just like did the whole thing on my own, like an absolute madman and wow. sort of talking to myself and then sent it off and then went to bed with COVID. So, um, <laughs> but so it you, good. you can't tell. It might just be you <laughs> hallucinating. Oh my God. Exactly. Yeah. There's a dog coming in. Well, it's got, well, it's got a yeah, it's funny you say that. So my 40th birthday uh, was also, uh, so I missed my 40th birthday because of COVID, but it was also when the Queen died. So that whole week, I was recording an audio book for two days straight. I had COVID, my 40th birthday, and the Queen died. And I'm pretty sure I hallucinated half of that. So I'm not... (laughs) Yeah, the Queen's still alive, Greg. What are you talking about? Oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, I was definitely... I had a fever two of those days for sure. Um, So yeah, it's it's a lovely book. And the the audio book version, if if kids love... um, listening to stuff or if they enjoyed my children's podcast in the pandemic homeschool history it's a yeah. nice way again i mean actually what you can do is you can buy the hard copy and then you could um, you can listen along and sort of trace with your fingers and sort of and sort of see because some kids you know if some kids process information differently you know there are children out there with different needs and different desires and different ways of of enjoying um listening or reading and together or they might be visually impaired so to have the audiobook version also is really nice because it, yeah it means the book can exist in a slightly different format with different jokes you know jokes for the radio yeah stop trying to sell two copies of every book sorry <laughs> <laughs> but it, i think that it's serious as that it's that is a lovely thing to say uh and and it's, it is it is such a lovely object itself that i think it's uh it is it's, it is probably is worth buying both if you want to listen to the audio book, if you want to listen to the COVID fueled rantings, from Greg, <laughs> um... 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's a few things that come back. There's a few characters that come back that I wouldn't say were the major characters in history. There's, uh, but uh, who, get, who get quite... Uh, Quite a few, a couple of mentions. John Joseph Merlin, who I'd never heard of, is mentioned twice in this book. So he's yeah. So if this is the only history book that ever survives, if all the risks <laughs> disappear and this is it, people are going to think John Joseph Merlin was a pretty important guy. Do you want to tell us about why he's mentioned twice? <laughs> he, <laughs> um, I like John Joseph Merlin. He um, he was a Belgian inventor. Uh, he was a, he was a musical um, instrument inventor. That was his main job. Um, but he also invented roller skates and um, famously he was um, entertaining at a party in London in the 18th century. And he was whizzing around the party on his brand new roller skates while playing violin at the same time because uh, he was a musician and everyone was like, oh, look at him. He's very fancy. He's whizzing around. Uh, but unfortunately, he hadn't invented brakes for the <laughs> skates. And so he just careened headlong into an enormous mirror and very nearly died. <laughs> sort of, sort of very badly cut by all the sort of shards of glass everywhere. Um, so I just really like that. It's just a very good visual image of a man <laughs> hurtling on roller skates into a mirror. It's sort of a slapstick image, but actually it, it was probably very serious at the time. But it's... Um, <laughs> But yeah, the history of mirrors is in the book because mirrors are really interesting. They're really, really interesting. Um, you know, we, we have mirrors from the Stone Age, from Chateau Hoyuk, the first ever town uh, 9,000 years ago. Um, they're cosmetic mirrors. Women were buried with them. And we have the story of a Roman emperor who was so paranoid about being murdered by assassins that he made all the walls of his palace shine and shimmer like mirrors so he could see people sneaking up behind him. And I kind of love that fact. And there's also... <laughs> This is not in the kids' book. This, I mean, I'm assuming there are not children listening to this, but there was a very famous, there was a famous Roman sort of sex pest who um, loved using convex and concave mirrors uh, while having sex. Uh, in fact, probably while sexually assaulting his enslaved servants, horribly enough, but he used them to make everything look bigger. So he would hold <laughs> mirrors up so that he could see his penis look larger. And, uh, and in the end, his uh, enslaved servants murdered him and, and the emperor let them off. <laughs> yeah you know what he was an absolute bell end sure 
So, um, so yes, there are, even in Roman times, people were using mirrors to uh, check themselves out and to make everything look bigger. Well, maybe you um, need to that's do not in the kids' book. Maybe for, maybe do an, maybe do an after dark version because I know you you mentioned the uh, the advent of Coca Cola with just saying oh they're made of cocoa <laughs> these leaves from this plant but without saying too too much about what the original ingredients. Of yeah, Coca-Cola yep, were. absolutely. The original <laughs> ingredients were pure cocaine, hundred percent Colombian. Yeah. So um, yes, there's some things that kids can uh, maybe wait a few years before they come back around to yeah well john joseph merlin never heard of him fantastic very interesting again i think like when people multitask and do different things joseph Priestley, who i had heard of but was unaware mm. that he'd invented the fizzy drink and named the rubber yeah yeah which, so and I, really... I, I, I and i don't think i because because rubber plants are called rubber plants but rubber plants are named after rubbers rather than the other way around, right? Is that, that that's what I've gleaned? Is what I could glean that correctly? Yeah, so the plants <laughs> the plants have various names. Uh, latex is the product. Uh, in, the, in French, uh, it's caoutchouc was the name of the plant, which was a sort of mistranslation of a, a Norhattle word, uh, the language spoken by the Aztecs. But um, but John Joseph, it's not John Joseph, sorry, jo- <laughs> Joseph Priestley, um, uh, just briefly, another 18th century sort of natural scientist and very sort of brilliant man. He noticed that if you took this plant, this sort of spongy, rubbery, well, you know, rubbery is the word. Yeah. Uh, but if you rubbed it on pencil, it erased it and you went, ah, interesting. So if you rub it, it goes. And so that's where we get the word rubber from um, was him rubbing it. So the rubber plant is named after the action of rubbing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, Az- the Aztecs used to chew it, you used to chew it as chewing gum. Um uh, it's called uh, chicle, I think, and um, and and yeah, uh, he also invented. He also sort of discovered carbonization, so the idea of fizzy drinks, so lemonade and so on. So, yeah. um, so the Schweppes company in the 18th century was founded soon after Priestley noticed that you could add carbon dioxide to liquids. So, yeah, there's a sort of um, there's a sort of fun period of history in the 18th century where you've got these sort of natural scientists running around rubbing <laughs> things and, and prodding things and measuring yeah. things and setting fire to things and going, hang on a minute. Also, so. probably <laughs> as an important historical figure for school children, the man who invented or named the rubber and the man who invented fizzy drinks, that's he's right up there, right? He's got to be number yeah, yeah. He's got to be in your yeah. top three most important historical <laughs> figures. Joseph Absolutely. Priestley. Uh, and vulcanization yeah, yeah. becomes a, is a, is a is a big theme in this book. But, you know, again, you realise how important vulcanization is as a as a just what you're mentioning that that people would drown because their because their clothes were waterproof. But what a big step that was in in moving the human race forward. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's um you know rubber was used initially uh, not really for for clothing or anything like that, and then in the early 1800s people start using it for so you get like a, you know the idea of the Wellington boot comes in quite late, um, but you get Charles Mackintosh who sort of comes up with the idea of the waterproof coat, and then vulcanization <laughs> comes along. It's Charles Goodyear, and it's this notion that if you sort of superheat the rubber plant, it it, it becomes waterproof and strong and resilient and it doesn't smell is the other problem so prior to that the smell of it was absolutely disgusting people used to be thrown off of trains and carriages for wearing rubber clothes because it would just they, they they smelled just revolting so the vulcanization process got rid of that as well so that then gives you tires so having rubberized you know heated treated uh, makes it strong and resilient it means you can put it on cars and trucks and lorries and stuff so it just changes the world. You know, the invention of this this technology just 
completely transforms technology and and also transportation and all sorts of things so yeah you sometimes you get these little cute stories and then you sort of go hang on wow wow whoa this is this is huge. This is a huge story. It starts <laughs> off as, you know, one guy doing a bit of rubbing and another guy accidentally setting fire to something and going, oh, I think I've invented, I think I've invented uh, industrial rubber. That's handy. Yeah. And there's a few things like, you know, the few things that I enjoyed that were new to me. Uh, I didn't know the reason why Paris is an hour ahead of yeah. the UK when it's so close to the UK or so that that's uh, that's an interesting story, which I'm surprised about. But you t- tell us why that is, Greg. Yeah, so um, Paris and London should be on the same time um, because it's all to do with uh, longitude and latitude and all that kind of stuff. And it's the time zones which were invented in the 1880s. Um, you're meant to add an extra hour every 15 degrees. And uh, Paris and London are close enough that they should be sharing the same time. But um, in World War II, the Nazis invaded France and changed the time to German time. And when the uh, Nazis were defeated, the French didn't change it back. They decided they would keep in time with European trade and commerce and they would maintain that new time that they'd been given. And so now London and Paris have a one hour difference. Yeah. Um, but they shouldn't. Scientifically speaking, they shouldn't be doing that at all. And yeah. then, of course, in terms of time zones, there's only one time zone in all of China. Uh, there should be five or six probably but the government are like no no we're all in the same time so it's like dark until 10 a.m in, in several parts of china um so time zones again have a fascinating history it's really really interesting yeah no it's well it, it, it's all good stuff and um well i, I, I like the uh I, I, it was interesting to see that the um communications and the and the and the leap forward in sort of telegrams and phones led to this thing called americanitis or uh, yeah. Eurasthenia, I think I'm saying That's that it. right. Uh, but uh, which is the, you know the pr- pr- technology going so fast that that people couldn't cope with the speed they were now getting the news because it would have taken weeks yeah. in the past, and now suddenly you could get news of something within almost instantaneously or within a few hours. That's right. It, I mean, in the 1850s, you get this sort of arrival of the telegraph machine which is super important and you have these two parallel wars or or conflicts happening simultaneously um the crimean war which obviously is happening in in crimea which is a huge distance from london and then you have um the indian uh, war of resistance rebellion what used to be called the indian mutiny but we don't call it anymore because that's that's much too sort of british imperial um they happened you know in the same decade and news from india took 40 days to reach london but news from the Crimean War arrived that afternoon. So we genuinely, it's genuinely believed that um, William Russell was the first ever war correspondent. He went out to, re- to report on the battles of the Crimea for the times and was writing back sort of stories about what was happening out there. These stories then inspired Florence Nightingale and Mary Seacole to go out there and become nurses. Uh, and also Alexei Sawyer, the French celebrity chef. Um, but it's also quite possible that the Russians were reading his stories in the press because they were so quickly telegraphed back to London that, and then Russian spies could read the Times and then <laughs> send back what they'd read in the Times back to the Russian front. Right. So funny enough, actually, it sort of probably helped with espionage too. We're not sure about that. That's that's a theory. But um, you have this incredible sudden acceleration and neurasthenia or Americanitis, as it was called, is this sudden um, kind of nervous condition that gets diagnosed by various psychologists 
that um, it's always men, primarily men and sometimes women and brilliant, clever, brainy white men with the biggest of brains um, were suddenly getting nose, you know, nosebleeds and headaches and exhaustion because the world was going too much too quickly. There's too much information. There's too much news. You can't process things anymore. Stocks and shares go up and down in, in an hour. You know, suddenly reports are coming in from Crimea that afternoon. <laughs> what? Crimea is a long way away. How are you doing this? You, know, you get the Reuters news agency being, you know, so it's it's this sort of sudden acceleration in the world where the, the, the introduction of the telegraph machine, um, you get two machines, actually. You get Cook and Wheatstone in Britain and in America, it's Morse. But um, that just changes the world. It just accelerates the speed of communication so radically, so quickly that there is this sort of profound trauma where people running around going, I can't handle it. It's too much. <laughs> um, which, you know, and I guess we've seen plenty of that recently with people yeah. saying, oh, you know, social media, the Internet and uh, TikTok is all bad for our brains. <laughs> well, is it? I don't know. I don't think I think there's probably exaggerations there. But it's really interesting to see that the Victorians were equally bewildered and terrified of new technologies as well as excited by them. the telephone for example people were really scared about telephones coming into their home they were worried about the privacy aspects yes. and we have amazing yeah. letters we have etiquette letters to sort of etiquette <laughs> manuals and magazines saying when a gentleman phones a lady should he be wearing trousers <laughs> and should he be standing up can you catch diseases down the line you know will will poor people phone me and ask for money all these sort of worries that they have so it's quite funny. The yes. French were really worried that the invention of the telephone would increase the amount of extramarital affairs because women would be able to call their lovers without their husbands knowing. Right. Classic French. That's that's yeah. what they're worried about. Right. Uh, so my wife cheat on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Wait till the. I mean, it is it is interesting to put that in the modern context and how quickly technology has moved. You know, it must have been relatively slowly in Victorian times that a new thing would come along. But yeah, something like yeah. it'd be very interesting to see how the Greg Jenner of a hundred years time will look back at <laughs> at the internet age and what it did to us. I mean, there's there's there's, there's plenty there. And I also like I would think I did know this before that uh, that hello that hello was sort of mm. became a big thing as a result of the of, of the, it being the, the the word that was decided you would answer the phone by saying hello. It wasn't really a, a word that was used as a greeting before that, uh, but it was nearly mm -hmm. ahoy was the was nearly. nearly the chosen yeah. word. So we'd nearly Which have a, a hoy magazine would be would be, <laughs> would be instead of Ahoy magazine. magazine, you'd have Lionel Richie saying, Ahoy, is it me you're looking for? Um, yeah, it would be amazing. Uh, yes, uh, hello was chosen because of the, the clear syllables. Um, and it doesn't sound like any other word in the English language. And also um, it was chosen because at the time it was believed that the phone line would always be open. So now, of course, we, we pick up the phone and we dial someone and we connect the call. But it, the, in the 1880s and 90s, it was believed that the phone line would always be on. And so it would just be on in the background and you'd have to signal to someone, oh, I want to talk to you now. So you'd have to use a word that wasn't normal in conversation. And so that word would be a new word, what we call a neologism. And hello was the word that was coined. And it's now probably the most, probably the most spoken word on the planet in yeah. terms of you can go anywhere in the world and say hello to someone and they can probably say hello back. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's kind of fascinating how quickly that, that spread. But, uh, yeah. And then the um, the the young women who worked in the call centres, you know, connecting the calls, were called the Hello Girls. Uh, that was their sort of job title. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And I think the, the the only chapter that made me feel particularly old 
and like I was part of history, <laughs> which which I am, was uh, there's a whole chapter about computer games, the history of computer games. Yeah. And then actually knowing, you know, I was there the, as all these things were happening. Although uh, actually <laughs> computer games are, well, I think they're, they're about as old as me. I think 67 was when I was born and maybe when the first computer game was available in, in in homes, I think, if I'm remembering rightly. But all the stuff about homes, uh, yeah. Pac-Man and Space Invaders and all that, and Pong. I mean, that's my life. Yeah. And and here it is now in a history book being read by my by my daughter as <laughs> something ancient. So it's not it's not so unreasonable I for know. her to ask if, that, if I'm as old as the phone and I'm as old as... Exactly. I, mean, I, I feel the same. <laughs> I, I've, you know, having turned 40, I suddenly feel the crushing weight of middle age hitting me. But, um, but yeah, the oldest computer game potentially would be at the World Fair in the 1940s. And this was a, um, a digitization yeah. of a medieval Chinese game. And so actually it's possible you're, you know, a child's great grandparents were playing them maybe um, back in the forties, but yeah, it, it, obviously it's a huge thing. The kind of the Ataris and the whatever. And for me, it was Tetris, you know, and yeah. as soon as I wrote that, I had the Tetris music <laughs> go around my head. And during the audiobook recording while I had COVID <laughs> and was slightly febrile, I started singing it. And then I sort of, it, it just would not leave my brain. And so for the entire thing, I was just sort of going, just over and over. And, uh, I feel like it's a sort of curse now. I can't quite get rid of it in my head. But yeah, <laughs> some of those games are some of those games are so old now, like Sonic the Hedgehog and and Street Fighter Two. Like Street Fighter Two is still quite famous. You can still sort of go up to people and go Hadouken, and they kind of know what you're doing, and it's kind of weird. <laughs> um, but some of those games are so old; it's really fascinating. <laughs> well, look, there's loads of extra stuff, but I don't want to give it all away. I love the stuff. I mean the uh, the Peruvian instant mash from the hundreds of years ago mm. is an incredible yeah. thing. Uh, Johan Guttenberg, that's not his actually his name, and, and you translate. It. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. There's uh, bikes. People trying to stop women riding bikes is fascinating. Yes. Again, another another big subject. Really, that it's it is interesting to to talk to to my daughter about that, and and that, that people sure. could. You know, have such the idea that people, women would their faces would change if they went too fast on bicycles. Their faces would become as frozen as bicycle faces, and uh, you know, yep. just absolute nuts stuff that unfortunately <laughs> we still are dealing with in the, in the real world. Um, how how much of your time is spent like noting down facts for? potential podcasts and TV shows and books in the future. You must spend your whole time kind of, have you got a special notebook for this stuff or is your, is your yeah. brain just good enough to remember? Uh, I'm, I'm I must pretty, put this in a book one day. I've got a decent memory and it's, uh, that's one of the sort of advantages of being a historian <laughs> is having good memory. But yeah, I do have a folder full of random, uh, there's a folder on my computer called a general history things. And it's sort of subdivided into like 90 different eras. And whenever I find something interesting, I take a photo of it and bung it in there and, you know, sort of remember, but yeah, it, there's so much history everywhere. You look absolutely everything has a history, you know, the road you live in, the, the clothes you wear, you know, you're wearing a t-shirt right now. The t-shirts have a fascinating history. They were underwear yeah. until about 70 years ago. Um, you know, the glasses you're wearing right now, uh, not, not to sort of give away your middle age like me, but you know, the uh, glasses have a really interesting history. You know, they go back to the 13th century. Um, it's a much older than you might expect. You know, people would not imagine that medieval people were wearing glasses, but yeah, that's that's how old they are. So, yeah. absolutely everything has a history. Headphones you're wearing right now has a history. Cables have a history. Microphones I'm speaking into right now have a really interesting history. Um, just everything in our lives comes from somewhere else and quite often those stories are incredible and you know when you look at um the invention of the, of the television for example 
well, the inventor of the TV, brilliant Scotsman, uh, well, he, he made the first one with um, jam bottles and jam jars and knitting needles. You know, he literally random stuff out of his kitchen cupboard. And that's how he built the first TV. And you just go, what? Yeah. What do you mean biscuit tins and jam jars <laughs> and knitting? How have you made a TV out of literally the stuff you find in a sort of bric-a-brac? Uh, but yeah, that's what the first TV was made of. So it, it, it's just incredible stuff everywhere. And I, I have a very nice job yeah. where I get to point at it and go, oh, I'll pop it in a book. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a lovely way of doing it. It's basically going through your day and, and the objects you would encounter in the day. But it, But exactly right that, I mean, you realise how much of, human evolution is down to our ability to you know to pass on ideas and and write mm-hmm. down ideas you know how all that it sort of how how it kind of you know makes us different from the other animals who maybe could maybe have learned a few little tricks through the time but has to be passed on through however they pass on their little bits of information we've got we've got this vast store of uh, of you know ideas and they're written down or they're passed from person to person and improved upon uh, and so it really is a fascinating way of looking at history through through objects. Uh, and, you know, it t- as we say, touch on some serious stuff, touch on some funny stuff. Uh, but it, do- it, it does give you a nice comprehensive look at, uh, at humanity <laughs> and uh, how we've got to the ridiculous place we're, we're at at the moment. Um, so thank you for that. Um, are you are you working on uh, more books, Greg? Are yeah, you, I've I have to write more children's books. I'm I'm going to be writing a children's book series, hopefully, um, which um, I can't tell you what it's, it is yet because I don't know. But it's that's the idea. Uh, it's going to be hopefully <laughs> a series of books, uh, all in a kind of uh, similar theme, um, and uh, and yeah, making more of your dead to me the, the podcast sure. I do, and um, uh, and you know bits and bobs here and there, other stuff. It's all very nice. I'm very lucky to get to sort of do lots of var- a variety, like yourself actually, you know, a variety of yeah. things all with history at the centre. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice life. I can't complain. And uh, are there any books that you're reading at the moment that you'd like to uh, recommend or any that you've read recently? Is there, is there anything that's... Oh, that's interesting. If, uh, for your... Um, yeah, for your badges, I'm trying to think who... What's going to be a really good thing to recommend right now? There are some. I mean, I love Susie Dent's latest book. It's, I mean, I love Susie Dent right. anyway, but like, um, it's, it's full of lovely, lovely words. Um, um, but... There's an, I mean, uh, Peter Frankopan has got a new book coming out quite soon that looks amazing. And his last book, The Silk Roads, um, was this incredible history of Asia and, and the Middle East. And it sold like two and a half million copies, which is insane for a history book. You know, a best selling sure. history book sells 50,000 copies if you're lucky. Uh, and he's got a big, big new history coming out quite soon. And Peter is the cleverest person I've ever met. He's terrifying. He's so nice. It's really annoying. But he's like, he speaks stupid number of languages. And, He's a professor of global history at Oxford, and his book, I'm sure, will be just a vast uh, repository of all the things I wish I knew but didn't. So uh, look out for that because he, okay. yeah, he's he's very big brain. Brilliant. Oh, look, Greg, it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I highly recommend You Are History if you've got Thank kids you. or if you haven't, just buy it for yourself and uh, hide it. <laughs> Hide it with your pornography, so no one knows that you're reading a children's book. Uh, but uh, but it's you know it's it, it it there's there's so much in there, and you'll be able to impress people at dinner parties with your uh, your amazing knowledge. <laughs> if I if I could ever remember these things, I, they are nearly always 
fall out of my brain almost straight away, sadly, these days. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, a, it's a strong recommend. For, and, and you've written lots of other books as well. Uh, so uh, which we've had you on about Ask, ask an Historian. Ask a Historian, sorry. Ask a Historian, uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there are, there are plenty of other books out there uh, for Greg. A Million Years in a, million, uh, years in a Day is a, is a similar... Yeah, that's the, I suppose that's the adult that's version right. of this book, right? Exactly that, exactly that. This book is basically the children's version yeah. of A Million Years in a Day, which is about the history of ordinary stuff we all do. Yeah. That was more about like more about the things we do in a day, whereas this is more about objects. But absolutely, they are the same yeah. book for different audiences in different format. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So if you're an adult, maybe buy that one, but get the uh, get the kids one as well because it's it's really good fun having cartoons <laughs> of Greg. On a toilet in them, and or you could just draw Greg in a toilet on the in the grown up version. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try that one. Um, <laughs> Love to talk to you as always, Greg. I hope to see you soon. Thank you very much. Uh, not quite sure who's uh, next week. It might be Rebecca Rag Sykes talking about Kindred, hopefully, which is oh yeah, a brilliant. That's book. a brilliant book. It's an amazing book. Yeah, she's been on the really podcast, brilliant. and I highly recommend uh, Becky. Yeah, Doctor Becky, she's amazing. So that's a fantastic book. Highly yeah. recommended. Great. Good. All right. Thank you. See you, Greg. Thank you. And thank you very much to Chris Evans, not that one. And to Ben Evans, not that one either, probably, who uh, does all of our social media clips. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStripe.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>